This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Revelation chapter 6. That's where we are. And uh, we're going to get to work, and I'm going to call your attention to verse number 9. This will be a good place to pick up where we left off last week. Let me just give you a word for the background. John the Revelator is on the island of Patmos. The year is A.D. 96, and he is there because of preaching the word. And there had been many attempts on his life, which all ended in disasters as far as it didn't accomplish anything, which his persecutors were aiming at. And so they put him on Patmos uh, and left him there pretty much uh, to die. But God had different plans for him and gave him the greatest revelation of all time. So here we go in Revelation 6, verse number 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, and there are seven if you're keeping track and taking notes, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And I think that that's a very interesting scripture. We talked about that last week a little, but verse number 10 is where we pick up tonight. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long? And, and there's really no way that I can do justice in this cry, this plea, this appeal to God. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long? O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, we talked in a previous message on Sunday morning when I preached that series recently on Bible prophecy, that this phrase, them that dwell on the earth, never applies to believers. This phrase, them that dwell on the earth, always applies to those who are lost without the Lord. This is a very unique prayer that's coming from uh, people who have uh, turned to God at a very difficult time. Now, something very interesting here in my study that I see in verse number 10, and that is this, these martyrs who had sealed their love and their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ with their life's blood, they have given their life here in this unbelievable, horrific time for the word, for the Lord. Now, something interesting here is this, that these martyrs who are praying, they are not praying like Jesus taught us how to pray. Let me reference that for you real quickly here. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. In Luke 23, verse number 34, the word says this. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, these martyrs that are praying and crying out to God, they are not praying this kind of prayer as Jesus taught them to pray or taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, you pray this. 
They weren't doing that, nor do they pray the prayer that Stephen prayed in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 60. Stephen, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. These are two illustrations of scripture where the Lord taught us and believers were praying for the forgiveness of those who were persecuting them. That's not the prayer. That's not the kind of prayer that these martyrs are praying. Because you see, now, at this particular time here in Revelation, the day of grace, the dispensation of grace, is over. Grace is how God deals with you and I today. Thank God for his grace. I love the song Amazing Grace. The Bible says, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. But you see, the dispensation when the rapture takes place has changed. Now, it's another dispensation. And there is a a Psalms that connects with this in chapter 94, Psalms chapter 94. And I want to read for you verses 1 through 3. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render, look at this, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? And so when John is hearing the prayers of these martyrs crying, O God, how long? Are you going to allow this kind of thing to happen? How long, O Lord, is it going to be before you come down with your wrath and your judgment and you punish these people? How? Why are you taking so long? This is the tone of the prayer. Nothing like Jesus taught us. Again, it's a different dispensation. I want to go through four quick verses with you. Psalm 74, verses 9 through 10. We see not our signs, there is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach, shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? In Psalm 79, in verse number 5, How long, O Lord, will thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? In Psalms 89, 46, How long, O Lord, will thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? In chapter 93, verses 3 through 4, The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Now, all of these scriptures... And I know we have read them with uh, a certain amount of speed tonight, but these martyrs are crying out to God to avenge them. They're crying out to God for him to pour out his power, his wrath, and his judgment to exercise vengeance upon them, as verse 10 says, them that dwell on the earth. And so quite a different. Now, in comparison, when I think of this situation as it's developing, some of our prayers today, I think we we have a tendency to pray 
something like this whenever there are adversaries that come against us in our life. When we have troubles and trials, I'm telling you this, that if you're not camping near the cross, and like that old song says, Jesus, keep me near the cross, there's a precious fountain. We we have to acknowledge something that we are dealing with vulnerable human frailties every single day. Our flesh is weak. Our mind is weak. And if we're not prayed up, if we're not camping near the cross, if we're not staying in the word, by human nature, when, when things come our way. Now listen, if you're prayed up and you're giving God the praise when your feet hit the floor in the morning, you're thanking God for a peaceful night rest. You're thanking God, for, and I do this every single morning, I almost uh, feel ritualistic uh, at times, and, and somewhat I'm convicted of it, and I change my prayers, but I pray every morning my feet hit the floor. I'm getting out of the bed, and I'm thanking God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, blessed Holy Spirit, for keeping me and my family safely through the night. Bless this day, O Lord. Use it for your glory. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for coming into my heart. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven. And I do pray that when that great trumpet sounds, God, that you would allow my family to be caught up with me. May we all meet you in the air. And and I go through a prayer of thanksgiving and praise, and I exalt him. And I will tell you this, it makes a difference in your day. It makes a difference. Sometimes if, you, if you're setting that alarm clock and just for the, for the moment and it, that you have to jump out of bed and it's almost like jumping into a frigid, ice-cold water bath or shower, yeah, you, 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 your body can't take that. You, you, it's a shock to your, to your nature, to your anatomy. But uh, if... If you're just running through life with the hustle and bustle and you're just trying to be here on time and 10 minutes late there and this and that and the other, pretty soon you'll find yourself running a rat race with your life and you don't have time for God anywhere. And by the way, you'll never, you'll never be able to win the catch-up game with him. Because if you say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pray this morning. Uh, I've got too much to do. Or you say, I'm not gonna have my devotions now. I'll do it at night. By the way, this is just me. And you you might do it religiously without a problem, but I will tell you this. After I have been in this book all day long and I have studied and I have prayed and I've done all this stuff, the last time for me to have my devotions is before I go to bed. This book will rock me to sleep. I, I don't like to do that. And so... But that might be the perfect time for you. All I'm saying is this, that if you're not camping near the cross, if you're not staying prayed up and praised up, and trouble comes your way, you're going to find it very, very difficult to pray like Stephen or pray like Jesus taught us to pray because it's just a human nature within us that that we don't do well under pressure. You have to be prayed up. You have to uh, be in the Word. You you have to be. Uh, but I will tell you this. In general speaking, when we see this world going in the 
chaotic direction that it's going in today. And, and the, the liberal crowd all around us that's just, I, I, I can't even keep up with it. The things that are being forced upon us, uh, it's almost like one abomination after another that's kind of being thrown down our throats. And they're saying, deal with it. You gotta, you gotta grow up with it. You got to, this is the way things are going to be. Get used to it. Sometimes we pray, oh Lord, would you deal with this? And would you deal with this in a way to get your point across? I mean, if we're not careful, we, we have a tendency, I believe, to pray like these martyrs in the day of grace when all along right now in this dispensation no matter how hard it gets as a Christian I think we can still hear the words of the Lord coming back saying I know it's tough but my grace is sufficient for you I think his promises come to us and uh, like an avalanche when we think about that uh, and by the way no matter what trial that you go through the Word teaches us. In fact, I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 because there's a promise of Scripture that guarantees that there is no problem, there is no temptation that God is incapable of carrying you through. Look at this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted. I was just, I was visiting somebody's home yesterday and I was using this verse of Scripture here. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God is faithful. You know, when I think about the world and the situation, and we, we cry out to God every day, Lord, intervene. And my prayer is this, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I think that if we let ourselves and our minds and our emotions wander just a little bit. Not only do we think about our present day troubles in the world that, that, that's going on all around us. And I mean, it, there's one heartbreak after another. You turn on the morning news and it's, it's unbelievable. Things that are happening all over this country, all over the world in the course of 24 hours. But I think about not only how we have a tendency to pray sometimes if we're not prayed up where we need to bring. But also I think about going all the way back to the days of the Old Testament Israelites when they were in Egyptian bondage and think about how long they cried for God to deliver them. God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to get us out of this mess? When are you going to send the deliverer? I think about the Jews who had suffered in the Holocaust. Eight million people brutalized by a demon-possessed man. I think about all the prayers that had gone up in the Civil War and during the days of slavery. But on our trials and our tribulations, here's what we have to do. We have to keep on trusting. We have to keep on trusting the Lord. The just shall live by faith. And there's no doubt in my mind that God will deliver us. 
But the Lord here in this passage, the Lord is going to come to the rescue of these tribulation saints that we're going to see. Notice verse number 11, Revelation 6, 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. All of these people that are crying this prayer, Lord, how long before you lower the boom? How long before you rescue us? How long will you take to avenge us? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest. This is interesting. That they should rest for a little season. Do you remember that um, after the millennial reign, of course, you have the rapture, you have the seven years of tribulation for the, for the loss, for the believer. You've got three and a half years at the judgment seat, and you've got three and a half years at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you have the rapture, you have seven years that go by, whether it be tribulation or whether it be at the meeting in the air with the Lord. Then you have the millennial reign. But then after the 1,000 years, the Bible says that Satan will be loose for a little season. And there's a reason for that. We'll talk about it at another time. But here you read this for a little season. I, this is very interesting to me. Again, I told you in the beginning of all of this that I don't have all the answers. And I know that there are many probably wonderful, talented, multi-talented Bible scholars that have different opinions and different uh, theological approaches to this. God bless them. Wonderful. But I think in my study, uh, I, I, I kind of have come to this conclusion because this rests for a little season, I believe that these tribulation saints who are martyred during this horrific time, they will be included with the Old Testament saints in the second resurrection. Now, that's just, that's just basic theological study and cross-referencing on my part, and it could be totally wrong, but that's what I believe. Now, in verse number 12, and 13, let's look at this together because we're dealing with the sixth seal here. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now, I think that this, these passages of Scripture deal with the last half of the tribulation. I want us to compare the beginning of the tribulation with the end of the tribulation. Looking at the beginning, and this is, this is a good, I think, compass for me. In my study, I hope it will be for you. But I want to get these scriptures on the screen for you in Joel. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know those scriptures. Look in Joel chapter 2 and verse number 30 and 31. The Bible says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. In verse 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before, look at this, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So that's why I believe that this is, um, so to speak, at the beginning of the tribulation. One more, let me give you this. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness 
and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. All right, so I believe what we're reading here in Revelation 6, verse 12 and 13 uh, is dealing primarily with uh, the beginning of the tribulation. But at the end of the tribulation, let's go back to the book of Joel. And I want to look at verse number three. And in there, I want to read a couple of passages for you, verses nine through 17. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of the war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be weakened, awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down for the press is full. The fats overflow and their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice. From Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of his children or the strength of the children. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers pass through her any more. Now, I don't have time tonight to give you a couple of more, but I will give them to you here in reference. We'll not take time to read it. My time is moving fast, and I, and I don't want to stop right here. But in addition to Joel chapter 3, verse 9 through 17, if you're writing scriptures down, you can make reference to this in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 through 13. I'll give it to you one more time. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 13. Also, Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 4. And then Matthew 24, verse 29. It's Matthew 24, verse 29. And so there will not only be... Uh, as this earthquake is in full force at this point, it's not only going to be just like the wind that you are familiar with, but uh, there is going to be economic earthquakes, uh, and, and, and it's going to cover the land. There are going to be catastrophic things that are happening in the galaxies. Now, I want to get through this, uh, verse 14, if I can because this is a continual description of devastation. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together in every mountain and island were moved out of their places. In verse number 15, this is interesting, and this is where I want to stop tonight, verse number 15, actually verse 16. But verse 15, And the kings of the earth and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves. This is important, because what, what John is saying here is that no one is excluded from the tribulation. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, doesn't matter what your status is. No one is excluded from the tribulation. But he says this at the end of verse 15. Things were so bad. Things were so catastrophic that people were hiding themselves in dens 
and in the rocks of the mountains. And as it continually got unbelievably bad, we're closed with verse 16. I don't have time to conclude the chapter, even though it's one verse short. But let me say this, uh, and because I got a very important scripture for you to see, I don't have back there in the media department, but I want them to get ready to get Revelation 9 6 on the board. But look at verse 16. And these people now that have fled to the mountains and they're crawling in dens and they're trying to hide from all of the devastation, the murder, the, the, the catastrophic things that are dropping out of the skies and all, all sorts of havoc going on. And said to the mountains or rocks, they've had enough of it. This has brought people to a suicide level. They're wanting to die. They cannot contend with it anymore. Look at this. And they're saying, fall on us. We would rather die than to go through this horrible time and hide us from the face of him, Jesus, that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And so and let me give you this last scripture in Revelation 9, 6. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die. Now look at this. This is important. And death shall flee from them. Do you know what that means? That means that the tribulation is going to be so horrific. And this is for mature audiences only. But the, but the tribulation is going to be so horrific that they're going to want to die. People that can reach for a gun and put a thirty-eight caliber pistol to their head and blow try to blow their brains out. Look at this. They will try to commit suicide and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. So there's going to be a period of time in the tribulation that people are going to want to die, actually try to die and cannot die. Imagine you, you've seen these horrible shows which you should be ashamed of yourself if you watch The Walking Dead. Um, I see those kind of things advertised on television. I don't know that I've ever sat through one of them. But you talk about the walking dead. This right here is, is a picture-perfect example of what this passage of Scripture is talking about. Uh, and it's going to be in a specific set time where people are going to want to die and they can't. John is writing... I believe, to help us understand what's going to happen. Because in all of this, in all of this, and we will see this develop in chapter 7, but in all of this, there's a remnant. There, there's a remnant. There are going to be people spared and saved. Uh, and I don't want to get into chapter 7, a night my time is gone. But I think John gives us these horrific details so we will see how this thing plays out for the chosen ones of Israel, how God loved his people, and how that God's not finished with the Jew. Well, it's an interesting study, and I pray that's a blessing to you as well. God bless you. I appreciate you being here tonight. I know it's deep and complicated, but it's in the Word. Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.